The <clears throat> title of this evening's talk <clears throat> is The Pure and Beautiful Mind. With uh, a subtitle, we could say, uh, Wholesome States of Mind and Heart that are associated with the development and fruit of insight, concentration, and metta practice. And beginning with um, a poem by William Butler Yeats called The Celtic Twilight. We can make our minds so like still water that beings gather around us that they may see their own images and so live for a moment with a clearer, perhaps even a fiercer life because of our quiet. With this evening's talk, we'll explore some of the wholesome <clears throat> and beautiful states or factors of mind, chetasikas and Pali. <clears throat> And these are associated with the development, the deepening, and the fruits of insight, concentration, and metta practice. All of which include a growing depth and clarity of mindfulness, which is the chief, as the Buddha called it. He called mindfulness the chief. This quality or factor of mind that needs to accompany us all through all of our practice. The Buddha's very precise uh, teachings and analysis of these mind states or these factors of mind are disclosed in the Abhidhamma, the Abhidhamma basket or the Amidhamma Pitaka. So we'll do just a brief review of what this Abhidhamma basket is all about. The Abhidhamma is one of three baskets, one of three divisions of the Pali Canon, which is the authoritative record of the Buddha's teachings. The first basket, or the first collection as it's sometimes called, is the Book of Discipline containing the rules of conduct for the monks and the nuns and all of the guidelines uh, regarding uh, uh, governing and living in community, governing and living in a monastic sangha. Though actually many of these guidelines can also be applied to living in a lay Buddhist community. The second collection or basket brings together all of the discourses, all of the teachings, all of the suttas that the Buddha gave over his 45 years of teaching. And the third collection or basket is the Abhidhamma Pitaka. This basket has quite a distinctly a different character or quality than the other two. Whereas it's not a record of discourses and discussions occurring in 
real life settings, which both of the other two baskets are very much rooted in. But rather the Abhidhamma is a very clear, detailed, and refined um, disclosure of mind and the mental processes that uh, combine psychology, ethics, virtue, and philosophy from the Buddhist perspective into a unique and actually quite remarkable synthesis. And it's experiential, meaning it's what we actually experience as our practice develops and blossoms. I think it's important in that it can be helpful and also inspiring at some point along the way of our practice to actually hear in at least some detail about some of the more refined experiential processes that take place in practice. To understand a bit more how the mind works in practice. Through the years of my practice, I found that this inf- I found this information to be quite interesting in and of itself, as well as the fact that this information, this understanding can help to counter the fears and other possible aversa- aversive states, aversive reactions to some of the uh, occurrences that happen in our practice, along with the made up and sometimes fanciful stories and analyses, uh, the misperceptions and misunderstandings that can occur in relationship to various um, aspects of the unfolding of our practice, and also the attachments, the clinging that can come up in practice in relationship to what maybe might be unusual or unfamiliar experiences, and even in relationship to our more familiar experiences within our practice. Some of which, uh, all of this and some of which, uh, Sayadaw Upandita called the Dhamma delights of our practice. These wholesome and beautiful states. The Abhidhamma speaks of uh, 35 wholesome mental factors, 35 wholesome mental states, some of which are actually both wholesome and beautiful. And they're associated with uh, vipassana practice as mindfulness, concentration, and insight unfold and blossom. These 35 wholesome mental states or wholesome mental factors are also associated with the development, the development phase of concentration and the manifestation of jhana, and also occur during the development and the manifestation of metta. Twenty-nine of these wholesome and beautiful mental states, these wholesome and beautiful, beautiful mental factors, are universally developed through our practice. Six of them are considered to be uh, occasional and are uh, wholesome uh, only if they're accompanied by a wholesome consciousness. That's why they're occasional. And this will, as we 
discuss all this this evening, it will become clearer uh, as we go along. The first uh, five factors are active, wholesome mental factors that are a part of both the initial and the ongoing development of mindfulness and concentration, with the first two factors also being a very, ne- a very necessary and active components throughout our whole practice of uh, insight, vipassana. The last three of these first five factors manifest as active, wholesome, experiential states during the specific uh, stages of the development and manifestation of concentration and jhana, and also in relationship to metta practice to varying degrees. And they're also uh, active factors, very important during our particular aspects or the particular aspects of uh, our vipassana practice. So these first five wholesome factors of mind, which every one of you uh, are experiencing to varying degrees here in this uh, retreat. So I'll just uh, first list these first five wholesome mental states or mental factors that are associated with the development of our uh, vipassana insight practice and with concentration and metta practice. So the first is... the initial application, or vitaka in Pali. The second, the sustained application, or vichara in Pali. When uh, accompanying, when these are accompanying wholesome wholesome, uh, mind consciousness, wholesome mind states, uh, these first uh, two mental factors are wholesome mental factors. So they're called occasionals. They have to be accompanied, again, with wholesome mind consciousness. Otherwise, they're not wholesome mental factors. And of course, I think every one of us know that we can apply uh, unwholesome uh, uh, mental factors, mental states, uh, and we can sustain this application of unwholesome mental states on something. It can happen, and it does happen, as we all have probably experienced. The third <clears throat> um, of these first five uh, wholesome mental states or wholesome mental factors is uh, PT in Pali, which is um, often translated as joy or zest. The fourth in Pali is sukha, usually translated as happiness. And the fifth is ikagata, which is usually translated as one-pointedness. So now we'll look into each of these a little bit uh, more deeply. This first wholesome factor of mind, vitaka, is usually translated as, as I already mentioned, initial application meaning it's the application of the mind, of the attention, the mind to the object. Vitaka has the characteristic of directing the mind 
to the object. So in our case here, uh, for example, to the movement of the breath in the belly or the movement of breath elsewhere in the body. Vitaka's function uh, in the Abhidhamma is spoken of as striking the object. It's a very graphic description in the Abhidhamma, striking the object. The process experientially manifests as leading or we could say training the mind to the object. It's kind of like training a puppy. You know, you have to keep doing it over and over and over again until you get it, until the puppy mind gets it. (laughs) Vitaka has the special task, we could say, and fruit of inhibiting uh, the hindrance of sloth and torpor, sleepiness and lethargy. And it's very closely connected, very closely associated with intention, right intention or wholesome intention as in the Noble Eightfold Path. The second uh, wholesome factor of mind, vichara in Pali, the sustained application, the sustained application of the mind on the object. Vichara has the characteristic of what's called continued pressure, or as they speak of it in the Abhidhamma, of stroking the object. Continued pressure and stroking on the object. In the sense of staying with it and seeing and knowing how it's manifesting. It's the continuing and sustaining exercise of the mind, we could say, on the object. And and again, in our case here, the breath sensations um, in the abdominal area or the breath sensation in other uh, places in the body, as as example. Bichara temporarily inhibits the hindrance of doubt. It actually weakens doubt overall throughout one's ongoing uh, practice, uh, our inside practice, concentration practice, and or the development of concentration, and in metta practice. There are some wonderful similes or metaphors in in, uh, in the commentaries of the Abhidhamma, highlighting the difference between vitaka and vichara. So, uh, a simile or metaphor. Uh, in these commentaries for Vitaka. It's like a bird spreading out its wings to fly. So the initial application. And the metaphor or simile for Vichara is like a bird gliding through the air without outstretched wings. So the sustained application. The third uh, wholesome factor of mind, piti in Pali, often translated as joy or zest. Piti, again, is another occasional. And why is this? Because only if it manifests with no identification 
and with no attachment is it wholesome and beautiful. The mental uh, characteristics of PT can actually be quite endearing uh, and uh, can be explained as a delight or very positive or pleasurable interest in the object. Its function is to refresh, to refresh the mind and the body. And it pervades the mind and also pervades the body in its initial stages with some degree of kind of thrills, which are sometimes called rapture. Though actually this word, rapture, does not uh, cover all of the nuances of of piti. It often manifests as a mind and body quality of elation and gladness and joy, sometimes even some degree of mirth and merriment and exaltation and exhilaration and a feeling of satisfaction in the mind. In the commentaries, uh, there are five grades of of piti that are distinguished that can arise when vitaka and when vichara are in place and perking along in our practice. And as I uh, go over these, I'm sure that uh, some of them will be quite recognizable uh, for many of you as experiences that have occurred in your practice to varying degrees. So the first um, kind of uh, piti that's spoken about is called minor joy or minor zest. And it's said to be able to raise the hairs on the body. Maybe some of you have experienced that. The second is momentary joy or momentary zest. And this is like little small flashes of lightning in the mind. And I know some of you have experienced that. The third is called showering joy or showering zest. And this breaks over the whole body again and again and again, like kind of like waves on the on the seashore. It's orgasmic like in a certain way in that in that respect. This showering joy, showering zest. The next one is uplifting joy or uplifting zest. And it can cause the body to feel as though it's levitating, uh, which actually uh, I've heard uh, for some yogis uh, has occurred. Um, (laughs) And there's a story uh, that I heard from uh, Saito Vivekananda some years ago (laughs) about a monk uh, at a a particular monastery in Burma um, who would always sit in his room and on his bed and practice. And uh, he would uh, rise up and then fall over and rise up and fall over again and again and again. Well, word got out, probably because he told people, but um, word got out that in fact this was happening. And so uh, uh, there was a lot of curiosity. So um, he uh, uh, at one point invited other monks to come and stand at the window of his kuti to watch uh, while he was sitting on his bed <laughs> practicing. And supposedly it worked and they got to see it and assuage their curiosity. <laughs> and of course, 
probably develops, he might have developed a little bit of pride around that. We don't know that for sure, but that's possible. (laughs) So then the next one, pervading joy or pervading zest. And this, this floods the whole mind and the whole body with a very refreshing, a bright feeling of elation. Kind of, in the Abhidhamma, it's described as a, like a flood that fills a cavern. And I know some of you have uh, had some of that occur in the varying degrees. As a factor of mind, as a wholesome factor of mind, potentially wholesome and beautiful, if there's no identification and no attachment to any of these experiences. Um, A sustained PT, uh, particularly as it begins to be experienced more as a mind state than in the body, and this does happen as a as it develops and matures, as our practice overall develops and matures, and as the experiences of PT develop and mature, it becomes much, much more, and eventually just a mind state, but developing more into just a mind state rather than body. Um, It has the potential to weaken the hindrance of ill will. And with a very focused and mindful attention on the object, PT can temporarily inhibit ill will while it's manifesting. And this is really primarily when uh, this uh, phenomena, PT phenomena, is a mind state and not in the body, not manifesting bodily, much at all or maybe not at all. The fourth uh, wholesome and potentially beautiful state of mind, sukha in Pali, usually translated as happiness. And again, this, uh, this uh, wholesome state is a wholesome and beautiful state only, only if there's no identification and no attachment to it when it's occurring. So consequently, it's an occasional This uh, mental factor is a very pleasant, happy mental feeling that's born out of mind contact with the object of attention. Again, in our case, such as the breath as an example. Uh, The breath in the abdominal area or in other areas of the body. And of course, attention to other aspects of our body-mind continuum as well. Sukha is a a sweet, blissful mental feeling. And it's born out of detachment from all sensual pleasure, actually. And so it's explained uh, 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 in the the text as unworldly or spiritual happiness. And it can be very, very gratifying. It can engender a very deep sense of gratification. So consequently, it's quite easy to get attached to. So mindfulness needs to remain very strong and very clear when sukha is uh, arising and occurring. 
Sukha counters and weakens the hindrance of restlessness and worry. Although PT and Sukha are very closely connected, they're not the same. And sometimes people don't really uh, recognize the difference. So I'd like to read you um, uh, two uh, pieces from the uh, Abhidhamma commentaries regarding uh, PT and Sukha. And their metaphors or similes, well, metaphorical. Uh, Piti, or joy, uh, sometimes called rapture, is uh, like a weary traveler going along a path in a great desert in summer and is overcome by heat and thirst. This person sees a woman or a man as they're going through the desert and says, where is water? And the other one says, uh, the person they're asking says, soon there's a dense forest with a lake. Go there and you will get some water. Well, upon hearing this, the traveler is glad, joyful, and delighted, and then more glad and more delighted when he or she sees uh, uh, leaves on the ground and then people with wet clothes and wet hair and hears the sounds of wild fowl, and then sees this dense forest, green forest, and sees it like a net of jewels growing at the edge of a lake, and sees the transparent water and the water lilies growing in the lake, and then more and more and more joyful, glad, and delighted. Delight happens uh, within this person. So that's PT. <laughs> Sukha. <clears throat> Ease and sweet happiness like a traveler entering the forest shade and enjoying the water. And the commentary describes it like this. He or she descends into the lake, bathes and drinks with pleasure, eats the fibers and the stalks of the lilies, adorns herself or adorns himself with lotus flowers, then ascends the lake, dries off with a bathing cloth, and lays down in the cool shade with the breeze blowing ever so so gently and says, Oh, bless. Oh, bless. (laughs) With a sense of ease and sweet happiness, growing stronger and stronger, enjoying the taste of the object, as it says in the commentary. So again, uh, piti and sukha are, are closely related, but they're not the same. Piti always gains prominence before sukha, and it provides provides a, a causal uh, foundation for sukha to arise. The fifth of these first five uh, wholesome mental factors is one-pointedness, ikagata in Pali. And it is a universal mental factor. And it literally means one, one, a one-pointed state. The mental factor, this mental factor, is the primary component. It's really the essence of uh, a concentration, the essence of samatha. 
Um, And it's very important in our vipassana practice because we need to develop <coughs> concentration, samatha, in order to uh, uh, develop mindfulness. They go, they're quite interrelated. One-pointedness, or ikagata, temporarily weakens sensual desire to some degree overall. And it also weakens one's tendency towards being blindly, towards being habitually caught in various aspects of sensual desire when there's a developing and maturing of this momentary focus of attention accompanied by strong mindfulness. Both of these qualities, uh, uh, a maturing momentary focus of attention and strong mindfulness, are totally necessary conditions for any deeply transformative meditative attainment. And as I said uh, just a few minutes ago, the characteristic or the uh, factor of ikagata, of one-pointedness, is a primary component, the primary component for the development of a focused attention for the development of concentration. The function of ikagata is that one is uh, able to uh, very closely contemplate the object. But ikagata cannot perform this function on its own. It requires the joint or uh, cooperative uh, action of all of the other four factors that we've just explored, each performing its own function. So again, mitaka, applying the attention to the object and all of the associated states on the object. Vichara, sustaining the attention on the object. And again, with all of the, in, in cooperation, we could say with all of the associated mental states. Piti, bringing a delight and interest into the object or to the object. And sukha, experiencing a sweet happiness in relationship to the object. And they all work together in cooperation. So these are the first five wholesome factors of mind, some of them being wholesome and uh, beautiful factors of mind, if they're uh, not uh, accompanied by any attachment or identification. And they're all, these first five are associated with, the, very closely associated with the development of insight, our vipassana practice, concentration, and also with metta practice. So now let's go on <clears throat> and look at um, the other beneficial factors of mind uh, somewhat more briefly than we have uh, these first five that are associated with insight, concentration, and metta practice. So the next is uh, decision or resolve, 
which is in Pali Adimokka. And this is an occasional. The reason being that it, it's wholesome only if it's associated with wholesome, with a wholesome object of conscience, consciousness. I mean, we certainly can make a resolve uh, regarding unwholesome aspects of life, too. But this is, uh, in practice, it is uh, a, a very wholesome factor of mind if it's associated with a wholesome uh, consciousness. Arimoka literally means, the literal translation is the releasing of the mind onto the object. And so, consequently, it's rendered as decision or resolution. And it has uh, the characteristic of conviction and the, the function of not kind of groping around with uh, trying to find this or that. It really manifests as a decisiveness regarding the object of attention. Its nearest and its most immediate cause is that it needs something to be convinced about. So again, for example, in our case here, making a resolve uh, to give one's complete attention to the breath in the belly or or to give our one's complete attention to the breath somewhere else in the body, or resolving to give full attention to bodily sensations or to mental states. Adimoka has been compared to a stone pillar owing to its unshakable resolve regarding the object. So the next one, next wholesome mental state, is energy, or virya in Pali. And this is also an occasional wholesome mind state, because it's wholesome only when it's associated with wholesome activity in practice. Virya is uh, the state or the action of one who is vigorous. And its, its characteristic is exertion and supporting or mobilizing, or as it's called in the Abhidhamma, marshalling. Its function is to support the states that it's associated with. It manifests as the mind non the non-collapsing of the mind. The closest cause for virya, for energy, to manifest is a sense of urgency, a spiritual urgency. Or, or there's other uh, ways that we can uh, cause it to come, uh, come forth. Engaging uh, in an experience, that various experiences that arouse energy, which could actually at times be just as simple as taking a refreshing walk and maybe outside. Or maybe doing uh, a few moments, 15 minutes or so, of, of a mindful stretching, or maybe a little bit of yoga, or some tai chi, or, or qigong. Or actually any wholesome activity that stirs and that inspires one's internal energy towards 
vigorous action. And in this case, the vigor, vigorous action meaning towards energetic practice. The next wholesome factor of mind is wholesome desire, chanda in Pali. And this means the desire to act, the desire to perform an action or, or to achieve a result. This kind of desire needs to be clearly distinguished from the unwholesome desires that stem from greed and from lust. Chanda is a wholesome desire when it's associated with various wholesome intentions. <clears throat> and it can function as a virtuous desire to achieve a very worthy goal, as it is in relationship to our practice. And it's spoken about metaphorically in the Abhidhamma commentaries as stretching forth the mind's hand toward the object. And when I think of that, I think of the hand being up with the palm facing up, stretching uh, forth the mind's hand toward the object. So it's not grabbing, it's receiving open, receptive. So there's a long list of 27 universal beautiful factors or states of mind. And we'll go through these uh, pretty quickly. Uh, And some of these we've already explored uh, during this retreat, and some of them we will explore as the days go on. So the first of this long list of 27 is faith. Next is mindfulness. And the next two, hiri and otapa, hiri, moral shame, otapa, moral dread or fear of wrongdoing, These two beautiful mental factors, hiri and otapa, are considered to be absolutely necessary for the protection of the family, protection of the community, the protection of the world, and in relationship to all relationships. The next on the list is non-greed. Then comes non-hatred. Next is neutrality of mind, neutrality of heart, which is associated with equanimity. And uh, next is tranquility, tranquility of mind and heart. Tranquility being extensive calmness. Tranquility of consciousness also. Next is lightness of mind, lightness of heart meaning a brightness, uh, the opposite of heaviness, the opposite of the sinking of the heart, of the mind, the sinking of consciousness. 
Next is the malleability of mind and heart. And this meaning non-rigidity. Malleability, non-rigidity of heart and mind. And malleability of consciousness. Non-rigidity of consciousness. Next is the wieldiness of the mind. The wieldiness of the heart. And the wieldiness of consciousness. Meaning the ability to go where it needs to go. That's what that means. And next is the proficiency of the mind and the heart. Proficiency meaning the clarity and the quickness of the heart and the mind. And consciousness. Next is honesty, uprightness of mind. Honesty and uprightness of heart and of consciousness. And the next four are the four divine abidings, the four Brahma-viharas. And they're both beautiful and wholesome. So the first being metta, unconditional kindness, unconditional loving kindness. Karuna, compassion. Mudita, appreciative or empathetic joy. And upeka, equanimity. Beautiful and wholesome factors of mind. And there are three more uh, beautiful mental factors, and they're called the abstinences. And three distinct uh, mental factors, there are three distinct mental factors that the Buddha very often uh, spoke about that come through as three different types or three different levels of abstinence. And all three of these are very important for the development of uh, insight and concentration. So we'll look briefly at each of these three. The first is called natural abstinence, meaning the abstinence from mental and physical deeds that cause harm uh, when the opportunity to arises to engage in them due to various conditions and particular circumstances, such as maybe one's social position or one's age or one's level of education, and there's many other uh, possible uh, 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 conditions and particular circumstances that might uh, uh, cause uh, the possibility of actions and words and even thoughts that would cause harm. But with this natural abstinence, one naturally abstains from these mental and physical deeds out of one's innate wisdom and one's innate compassion. The next is called the abstinence by undertaking the precepts. So that's our commitment to live our life observing the precepts, abstaining from killing, abstaining from harmful speech, from abstaining from stealing, abstaining from sexual misconduct, abstaining from taking intoxicants. 
And the third uh, abstinence is called abstinence by eradication. And this comes about through the fruits of engaging in the supramundane path of the purification of heart, the purification of the mind, this Buddha Dhamma path of awakening, of liberation. And what is eradicated? What is eradicated actually is any disposition towards engaging in any deeds that cause harm. Now if you just think about that for a moment. Every, any, all disposition towards engaging in any deeds that cause harm is gone. That's a pretty amazing possibility. So abstinence by eradication. These first, uh, the first two of these three abstinences are mundane or they're, or they're common, they're ordinary in the worldly sense. While this, the last one, the third one, the abstinence by eradication, uh, is not a common in the worldly sense but it's of a purified, a spiritually purified nature. And there's a second level of abstinence in this long list that we're exploring to some degree. Um, of these beautiful and uh, wholesome uh, states. And uh, this is in relationship to observing the precepts. The first of these is right speech. So a deliberate abstinence from wrong speech, meaning a, a deliberate abstinence from false speech, from slanderous speech, from harsh speech, harsh speech and uh, from frivolous uh, talking. The next one is... Uh, right action. So the deliberate abstinence from wrong or harmful bodily action, such as killing or stealing or sexual misconduct. And the third, regarding right livelihood, is deliberate abstinence from wrong livelihood, such as, classically it's talked about dealing in poisons, weapons, intoxicants, animals for slaughter, or people to be used in wholesome, unwholesome and harmful ways, which can be applied in many different circumstances. So these three abstinences that are related uh, to observing the precepts uh, function as a kind of shrinking back from harmful deeds, or classically they're called evil deeds. Shrinking back from harmful deeds and manifest as the abstinence from such deeds. The closest and most pertinent causes for these are the special and uh, uh, beautiful qualities of faith and of hiri otapa, of shame, the shame of engaging in harmful deeds, hiri, and the fear of wrongdoing, otapa. And also 
our causes our having few uh, wants and few wishes. That's very helpful uh, with uh, in relationship to these abstinences. So, greed is damped down considerably. We could say that all three of these beautiful mental factors can be regarded as the mind, the heart's wholesome aversion to wrongdoing. And so the last of this long list of wholesome and beautiful mental factors, a beautiful wholesome and beautiful mental states uh, of mind, is uh, that develop through our practice is non-delusion the wisdom faculty the wholesome and beautiful beautiful mental factor of understanding of insight which is really the essence of our path of practice this path of mind and heart and As Carlos Castaneda said, a person chooses a path with heart and follows it, then looks and rejoices and laughs, then sees and knows. The importance of beginning to clearly recognize at least some of these experiential states in relationship to your own practice experience as mindfulness and a concentration continue to blossom is that with knowledge of what is occurring and why it's occurring we have the opportunity we have the possibility to see to recognize and know these beautiful and wholesome states without attachment and without identification and without fear or other aversive reaction reactions to these states when they come up in their various ways and also very important without misunderstandings and without misperceptions in relationship to the manifestation, the various ways these wholesome and beautiful states manifest, but rather with what is classically called dispassion, which is what allows the continuing development of our practice to keep unfolding and blossoming. In their fullness, in their utmost maturity, these are the wholesome and beautiful qualities, the wholesome and beautiful capacities of a liberated heart, a liberated mind. As we uh, come to the end of this evening's talk, I'd like to... uh, Uh, offer you some advice 
that comes from uh, the author uh, Robert Persick, who wrote the Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Some of you uh, may have read that book uh, at some point in your life. It may even have been, as it was for me, one of the early inspirations uh, towards practice. <laughs> so this is uh, from Robert Piersig from this book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Peace of mind. So the thing to do when you're working on a motorcycle, as in any other task, is to cultivate the peace of mind which does not separate one's self from one's surroundings. When that is done successfully, then everything else follows naturally. Peace of mind produces right values. Right values produce right thoughts. Right thoughts produce right actions, and right actions produce work that will be a material reflection for others to see of the serenity at the center of it all. And closing the talk with some words uh, from Atisha, who was an 11th century uh, Tibetan Buddhist master. And it's called, the title of this teaching is What the Buddha Taught. The greatest achievement is selflessness. The greatest worth is self-mastery. The greatest quality is seeking to serve others. The greatest precept is continual awareness. The greatest medicine is the emptiness of everything. The greatest action is not conforming with the world's ways. The greatest magic is transmuting the passions. The greatest generosity is non attachment. The greatest good is a peaceful mind. The greatest goodness is a peaceful mind. The greatest patience is humility. The greatest effort is not concerned with results. The greatest meditation is a mind that lets go. The greatest wisdom is seeing through appearances. And let's sit quietly for just a moment or two.